I don't think it's as good. It's not as satisfying. No, it's not as satisfying not to be able to see you. I know. You have to just imagine what I look like. You know, I'll ex- I'll describe what I look like. <laughs> Tell me what you look like. Tell me what you're wearing, Todd. <laughs> uh, a, a speedo, and uh, and I I lifeguard uh, at the beach. I see. Nice. And the beach is this way. I'm pointing with my muscles. <laughs> with your bicep. With you're my, pointing with your right. bicep. This way to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, Pre-Accident Podcast, Todd Conklin. How are you doing amidst the pandemic of 2020-2021? You know, they'll talk about this in history. Like this, this, 60 years from now, they're going to talk about the pandemic. So I hope you're keeping good records and you can tell good stories. And uh, And I hope you're making it through it. And if you're touched by it, I'm sorry for it. I really, it's, it's, uh, it seems to be never ending and it's getting hard. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but it's kind of hard to keep everything together, but I'm trying my best and I bet you are too. And, um, you know, out there trying to make a difference in the world and speaking of differences in the world, Ooh, we've got the ever popular Martha Costa on the pod today. Total friend of the pod. She was the first person ever on the pre-accident podcast. And now, look, five, six years later, here she is again. And she's talking about, she's doing a workshop. She's going to talk about it, but I, I suppose I can cut to the, ch- I can sort of, uh, spoiler alert, get ready. She's doing a workshop on uh, psychological safety. And my, my premise is that most of the people who talk about psychological safety aren't really talking about psychological safety as the literature from the academy talks about it. They talk about it as kind of a warm and fuzzy workplace, almost a replacement for the word culture, which is an entirely new podcast that we could go on a long time. When in reality, it's it's really this felt sense of candor, this ability to sort of push the edges and to talk about things that are on the edges of, of operations. And that's actually a, a much different definition than what I'm hearing in the rest of the world. Not that I'm being critical. I don't want to be critical because I've screwed up a ton of stuff. So, but, but I, I think we can think about this differently. And that's what Martha talked about. So I asked Martha to come on partially because when she spoke at the Hoff conference, I was uh, pretty blown away by her presentation. I thought it was really quite uh, wonderful. Uh, it, It really was, it was good. And I thought this is a good time to talk about this. And then, lo and behold, she's got this open workshop coming up. So she'll talk about the dates on that as well. But you should probably contact her, Martika. Oh, it's it's in the podcast. Right, now I'll put it in the in the notes too, just in case I screw it up. But it's definitely worth talking about. The big chill is going on in North America, so it is really stinking cold, almost everywhere. I mean, like really, like I know that you guys in Edmonton and Calgary don't think this is that cold, but it's even cold for you guys. I mean, probably you're having to wear a jacket, which is way past your normal abilities. Cause every time I'm up there in the middle of the winter, no one's got a coat on, but me. So, because you know, I'm not weak, but if you got a coat, you should wear it because it's a good way to stay warm, which I'm about. I'm the man that wants to stay warm. So other than that, things here are 
uh, interesting for sure. It's gonna be it's gonna be kind of um, I think it's gonna be a slow transition back to the world that is gonna at least look familiar to us. It's not gonna be back to normal, but I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I don't need to go back to normal, but it's gonna be a slow transition to a world that's got some familiarity to it for sure. It, it's interesting, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Been been having lots of little text conversations about when will conferences come back and will they come back and like NSC's talking about doing in October. I, I'm just not certain they're going to come back this year. And and my premise is I'm not a predictor of the future because I'm terrible at that, but I'm just not sure organizations are going to accept the liability. It's the, the risk picture has changed so much. So that's part of it as well, but we'll see as more and more people get vaccinated. I think there'll be different stories to tell there. Um, I don't know details to follow, but let's, uh, let's not dally much around. Let's actually listen to this conversation. This is, um, this is fun. I think you'll like it a lot. And remember, uh, we're talking about the idea of, of really psychological safety in more of the definition that I think has actually more positive potential for us in the reliability community than just a warm and fuzzy place to work. Although I'm not against a warm and fuzzy place to work with free cookies. That would be marvelous. I would be all about that. So sit back and relax. Here comes uh, Martha Acosta. Dr. Martha Acosta, and she's going to talk to you about all things involving psychological safety and a felt sense of candor. Here we go. So what's new in your world? Wow. Well, I, you know, we had the uh, ORCHSE conference. NSC, don't forget the last three words. Okay. I mean the last three letters because it's a nine-letter acronym. <laughs> NSE, a nine-letter acronym, which kind of defeats the purpose of an acronym. I mean, <laughs> unless now what we're doing is we're turning whole paragraphs into acronyms. <laughs> and that might be the way of the future. Who knows? Oh, my God, that's funny. It defeats the purpose of an acronym. That's really funny. That is very good. Nice work. <laughs> So what what did you take out of that conference? What did you learn? What what were your takeaways? One takeaway is that I really love the safety community. I, one of the things that I think is amazing is how everybody is really willing to share their knowledge and their experience and because there's this shared sense of purpose that the safety community has that goes beyond the competitive pressures of the companies that we're working in. Um, the other thing is that people are because of that, because everybody has a shared sense of purpose and they're solving a problem that saves people's lives and that makes their lives better, they get very enthusiastic about new ideas, but there's an interesting process in how, you know, we adopt new ideas. So the psychological safety idea is something that has really had a lot of traction in the corporate world for for a little while. Right. Um, but Amy Edmondson's book, um, The Fearless Organization, isn't that old. It's maybe a year old. But um, it's we first adopt ideas and make them fit to our existing schema, our existing, you know, frameworks of the way we see things. Right. And we don't. And we don't fully understand them. <laughs> right. right. These ideas are actually disruptive, but we don't disrupt ourselves. What do you think about the idea? I was just talking to this person uh, a couple of days ago, Diane Chadwick Jones, mm-hmm. and she called safety people. Um, what she call them? 
I want to call them reluctant innovators, but that's not it. She called them sort of like accidental innovators. <laughs> that, that, and that's kind of what you're saying as well, is that they don't think of themselves as as change agents, really, or as innovators in the organization, but they really are. They really are. And it's kind of a, it's 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 almost a, a an accident. That's not the right word. And it's not reluctant, but it's it's that kind of word that they're sort of, they find themselves, they discover themselves as innovative people within an organization. What an interesting observation. Yeah. And, and how does that lie in with the idea of psychological safety? Then? I mean, the, the Amy Edmondson stuff, the stuff that you guys are thinking about. There's a couple of things that that makes me think about. One is this idea of, um, of how we look at risk from a safety perspective and then how we look at risk from people who whose job it is to manage risk. So I was talking to my friend George R. last night, George R. from Amarillo, who is a um, who is a hedge fund dude, and he was saying he, he he was we were talking about some of these ideas around risk and safety, and he said risk is an opportunity. I, I, you know, risk is all about upside from his perspective. Right. And well, now let me interrupt you. I would also agree that I, I think workers see it that way as well, don't you? Um, I mean, I hope they – I mean, I think we should when we look at operations, when we look at high reliability operations, the reason why we engage in them is for the upside, right? The, the All the opportunity in that risk. And – I don't, but I don't know if if safety professionals who are focused on mitigating that risk are next are necessarily seeing that risk as an opportunity. We're not trying to reduce the. Well, maybe we are. I don't know. Are, uh, this is a question for you. Are we trying to reduce the risk, or are we just trying to maximize the upside of the risk and minimize the downside of the so risk? Let me let me add a third option. Are we trying to increase the capacity. Yes. So so I, I would tell you that over my time, it'd be interesting to talk to your friend George R. Or, or any hedge fund person, but I have a hard time talking to hedge fund people because mostly they're creepy. <laughs> George R. is a is a, a West Texas hedge fund person who hedges cows. You like, know, cows and hogs. I'm, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. It seems like I could uh, maybe mesh a little better with a hedge fund person from Amarillo. Let's just say that. Yeah. Growing up in, in southwest Kansas. But one of the things that I think is so interesting is that the belief that we manage risk in my opinion, is the wrong... And I bet George would say the same thing. Risk is an opportunity. Risk isn't... It, it, we don't manage risk. Risk is present all the time. Right. What we manage is our ability to have risk. Right. Is what what I would say. And, and that's I, that's the link to psychological safety. Oh, that's tell me the more. whole link tell me more. to this idea that, uh, you know, that I'm... I, I really want to explore more, which is building psychological capacity in the organization. So the misunderstanding often about psychological safety is that we're making everybody feel safe by making them all cozy and everybody gets along. And, you know, psychological safety means that there's lots of high fives and all of that sort of thing. That's actually the opposite 
of what you would see when you really have psychological safety. When you really have psychological safety, you see organizations like I saw, you know, in, in working in, with Intel in Israel, where people are having these huge heated debates and, you know, slamming their fists on the table. And, and you know, you see that level of cognitive conflict and what you're looking at is a truly innovative organization, right? So, so when we build psychological safety, we're building the capacity for taking emotional risks. And the more emotional risks that we're able to take safely, you know, without, um, without our, the defenses, our emotional defenses coming up and shutting us down, the more we're able to actually take advantage of um, innovative opportunities to being able to see things through multiple lenses for uh, maximizing the possibility of the of the organizational paradoxes that arise, the more we're able to be comfortable with ambiguity and take advantage of that, the, the more we're able to engage our cognitive complexity, right? Um, so, and that allows, this goes back to your idea about safety people being innovators because in fact uh, being able to solve the problems that arise in these emergent situations is that's innovation so is psychological safety a precursor of innovation yes it's a precursor of innovation but you we should unpack a little bit what you said because um I don't know if you know this, but you're probably freaking out the rest of the world. Because, well, no, they really think psychological safety is synonymous with safety culture. Mm-hmm. And that psychological safety is I feel warm and trusted and loved. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I can speak up, speak out, speak over. You know, you know, all those kind of things. And what you're saying is exactly that's not it. Well, you feel, I mean, that, that sense of belonging, it, you know, is there, but it's a different sense of belonging than a sense of belonging of everybody here is like me. It's, it's, you know, it's cultivating that sense of belonging where diversity is okay and we can show up as our whole selves at work and, uh, we can, we can contradict each other. It's, uh, it's that belonging to that crazy family. <laughs> The crazy yeah. extended family yes. where, you know, you, you know, you, you can roll your eyes when your, your nutty uncle comes in on his Harley, um, and ha- is perfectly able to have a, a conversation with your aunt who is a, uh, who's a minister, right? <laughs> it's all, yeah. it's all okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. But it's, it's, I think this is really, so I, I, I had a call a couple weeks ago from a large, uh, tech company mm-hmm. that rhymes with Google. <laughs> uh-huh. And they wanted to talk to me about the fact that because they're using a lot of Google Meetup uh, meetings, mm-hmm. that, that they don't meet in person because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. that they've lost the ability to have cognitive intellectual disagreements. Mm. They no longer have differing professional opinions. And it's it's actually in the IT world, that's really it's probably bad it's everywhere. Very problematic. Yeah, yeah, but it's really problematic in the like DevOps high performance computing world. And they were actually asking me how can we build an environment where it's okay to have intellectual disagreements via com- computer mediated um, communication. And I was not smart enough last week, but now I'm way smarter this week. <laughs> 
to realize that was a psychological safety issue. Yeah, it's a psychological safety issue. And I think it's because there's there's probably several uh, social cues that are missing. Yeah. That um, that give you that give you or you know your non-conscious brain the uh, you know the signals that it's that it's okay to contradict somebody well and they were doing a lot of really creative stuff to build camaraderie Mm -hmm. like storytelling and Mm -hmm. having contests and funny backgrounds and music videos i mean they were doing a lot of really cool team building activities yeah but it wasn't getting them the differing professional opinion they wanted because that camaraderie and psychological safety are not the same thing I'm realizing this, but not until you said this. <laughs> well, I, and and so some of the things that I would advocate is then looking towards things that start building. So cognitive complexity. I think I've talked about that before, but cognitive complexity is the ability. This is what gives you lots of different lenses to look at the world. You, you it gives you you're able to differentiate. So you we already know that looking at things black and white is not good for problem solving or innovation. So one level of cognitive complexity is differentiating into, you know, the 15 different colors of the, you know, all lots of different categories and then articulate within those categories and to be able to see sort of the differences between all of the things that even still fit into that category, right? Right. So then you have then you really got a lot of texture to work with. Well, that I mean, you you go into a context. Context matters. You go into a context and you see. All right, in this more simplified context of dealing with each other virtually, where we're missing information. Like you and I were just talking about doing this thing. I'm in your living room. We are socially distanced. You're in a different room. I can't see you. We can't see each other. It's a little bit weird having a conversation. Yes. So we have to look at that like we would look at, you know, our organizational system and go, okay, well, how do we, how, what can we put in place that mitigates for that, that, that creates something more? And that's when you actually need to engage in some processes and say, okay, this is how we're going to talk to each other in this medium. Uh, you know, Joe and Sandy, your job is to be listening for the underlying assumptions of what everybody is saying and surface those and question them. And, you know, um, you know, Bill and, and Annika, your jobs are to, is to be looking for, for, um, what the opposite of what every proposal is, or you're supposed to be looking at this from uh, the framework of an extreme consumer, uh, you know, somebody who uh, who who is is the people who would hate our technology or who or you know that sort of thing, and to look at it from their point of view, from the outsider's point of view, um, and and you actually have to consciously get people to. Get beyond uh, some of the some of the so, some of the contextual cues that are getting them to overnormalize. And, and what the Google people were saying when they asked that question was, we can't really do our work without that diverse opinion, without yeah. the cognitive diversity, without the diversity of ideas, in order to give us a more complete picture. Which that's I, true. I think is one of the interesting. Um, dare I say this, positive 
offshoots of the pandemic mm-hmm. is that we're realizing that during really these highly critical uncertain times, we want to build more diversity, yeah. more cognitive dissonance in a yeah. system, not less. Mm-hmm. Even though every bone in our body is telling us to build less. Right, right. Because we're we all of that uncertainty, all of that's um, and that volatility is bringing up our defenses, and our defenses want us to build less. But uh, George Valent, who is a um, psychologist at Harvard, that I really love his work, and he's done. He works with this data set um, that's been going on since after World War II. That they followed these men's lives. They were men. Um, because well, because back then they they were just focusing on men, yeah. but they follow these men's lives all the way until the end of their lives to see how they dealt with difficult situations. And he he's you know he's done a lot of research into that data set and seen that there are you know the defenses that we think of as those Freudian defenses, which are really shutting us down, right, and keeping us from being able to see things. But he also saw all of these defenses that really I kind of think of how we make ourselves more psychologically safe, where we we do we create a safe environment for us to really be able to challenge ourselves, to be able to take emotional risks. And we can do that on an individual level as well. And then those those kinds of, he calls them adaptive defensive. And we would do. I mean, that's a really good word for them. Yeah, it's a really good word. So those are how we use our emotional, even our emotional distress as a way to adapt to the environment. And, and one of the things that we know is that our, our limbic brain, our emotional brain, is really what is our adaptation brain. And that's how we adapt to our environment. That's, how, that's what drives our ad- adaptation into our behavior. So what uh, um, an, sort of a cognitive psychologist or, um, or a neuropsychologist would say now is that, you know, 80, 90% of our behavior is actually driven by our emotions because it is our limbic brain that is using our behavior as the way that we adapt to our environment in real time. That's how we are evolving right now as human beings because we evolve as a, we evolve in, as a group, not as individual um organisms human beings are you social we evolve as 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 groups and so our societies and our behavior within our societies and our behavior how we how we work together is how we adapt to changes in our environment and those and those changes are all emotionally driven our our relationships with each other are ultimately emotional even our relationships at work so who needs this conversation let, let me let me preface that this strikes me as the kind of conversation that leadership teams should be having right now as a as a strategy really bouncing forward out of this dramatic intervention we've had the yeah. pandemic and all the associated crap that's gone with it so it seems like it's really important is it a leadership message is is it a worker message is it everybody message i think where um, the bang is for the buck 
is with leaders. And, you know, leaders, as in leaders of, of operations, but also also safety leaders, right? So so not only leaders of people, but leaders of systems and processes and Ooh, programs. That was a good point. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Because um, because what one thing, I mean, we've been talking about the organization as a system, as a complex system for a long time. You and I have for, I mean, ages, right? Yeah, that like, was that was our sort of beginning into hop. Yeah, almost like 25 years, a long time. <laughs> we used to be young and beautiful. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> I am still. But uh, yeah, I, I like to say, oh yeah, I, I worked with Todd at the lab. I was, you know, the only teenage manager <laughs> at the lab. <laughs> no, I wasn't a teenager. But um, uh, so... So I yes, absolutely. Leaders of people, leaders of systems, processes, um, programs, and the reason why is is there's sort of three three stages to this in order to make it really practical. One is to recognize that psychological safety is um, something that's not given. You, you can't build. And this, I'm kind of contradicting some of the ways that Amy Edmondson talks, but I think it's because we're in a VUCA environment and, and the way that organizations are now, we're always pulling together these ad hoc teams. Right. We're super matrixed. Uh, we don't have stability in Ge- our organizations. Geographically to, split up. We're yeah. geographically split up. So this whole idea of building a culture of anything I mean, culture, it, culture happens. It's not like culture isn't still happening, but, but building, I'm going to, I'm going to create a culture of this and I'm going to set it and forget it. And well, we're a psychologically safe culture. So everybody, I know everybody here is able to speak out, right? Uh-uh. Right. That's not, that's not happening. As a leader in any sense, as an influencer, as a leader of people, as a leader of programs and processes, program, anything like that, you have to recognize that you are constantly need to be vigilant of the psychological safety in any team or interaction that you have. I mean, really, you need to be aware of it in every meeting that you have. When people come together, it is a group psychological phenomenon where people share the belief that it is okay to take emotional risks and if people aren't taking emotional risks if you're not seeing the kind of cognitive conflict that you need to be able to be innovative and creative then in that particular interaction you don't have psychological safety so on one level then what people really need to learn is how to identify and build psychological safety in any interaction okay so let me ask this question how do I purchase this? How do I bottle this up? How can I get this? I mean, <laughs> I, do you have a class you'll teach? Do you have a workshop? I you, because you're asking. I know you know that I do because no, you're, you're the sp- one who hounded me for months. But you're supposed to act like this is really spontaneous. <laughs> in the- We've never had this conversation. That's the whole point of these podcasts. People who listen to this podcast know you and me by now. That's true. That is true. Fair (laughs) enough. You have been hounding me for months to put together a class. And what I did was I put together a three-part class. So the first part, we're basically focusing on psychological safety, you know, in a larger sense. And 
what I want everyone to do, because you know that I, I'm a big believer in practice and experimentation, that we what we really learn is by seeing if something works and, and doesn't. And there is no, like, 10 top tips to be a great leader that I could give you. There's no checklist, right, and that works for everybody. But but you can we can have a framework, and I've developed a little framework where I've clutched together different people's ideas on this. Um, different scholarship on this, a, a framework then that that then you can go out and try it in your interactions and see if it helps you figure out how you can manage that interaction to build better psychological safety. So that's the first part. So there'll be a class, a week of experimentation, and then another class where we'll dive into cognitive complexity. And this is another place where there's lots of really good tools, like things that you can do. So answering that question that the company that rhymes with Google asked you. Right. Um, there are a lot of things out there that have been tested and, and, and that you can try in your organizations to raise the level of cognitive complexity to build that sort of cognitive conflict that you need to solve problems. So we'll have a class on that, and then I give people a set of those things that they can try, and they're all things that, that have been tried at other organizations, and we'll, in the class we'll talk about the different cases where it's, where it's worked and not worked, and then we'll experiment there. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll deal with the big, <laughs> I think the big thing that in order for leaders to create an environment of cognitive, uh, well, of psychological safety, we as individuals also need to be able to build our own emotional capacity, right? We need to be able to move our defensiveness from those um, reactive defenses, those Freudian defenses, to the adaptive defenses, right? The more conscious defenses. And so the last thing is really working on ourselves as leaders and working on our own emotional capacity because the emotional capacity that we demonstrate is what signals to the people that we're working with that it is emotionally safe with us for them to you know for them to take those risks so i'm i'm guessing and i really don't know this question so okay. i'm i'm guessing you'll provide this for organizations in total if they want it are you yeah. thinking about doing some open workshops yeah so um on the Hop Hub website that both you and Hop, I are on. Hophub.org. Hophub.org. If you go to virtual live, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what the, then my class is there. If you go to my website under attend workshops, that class is there that's open what's, for everybody. What's your website? Martika.com. M-A-R-T-I-C-A.com. Gotcha. Um, so you can go there and then just sign up for it. And I and I have so this class that's open for everybody is based on programs that I've designed for big corporations. Sounds great. Yeah. Oh, this will be fun. Yeah. I think it'll be I mean I, I really I'm really interested in um in seeing how this works for people. I'm really interested in the 
pieces in between. You know, those the, it's three classes and then two weeks in between where I'm getting folks to experiment. Right, right. I'm really interested in hearing how those experiments work in different kinds of operations in different cultures. So I'm just excited about it. Oh, I hope everyone. I'm going to learn. A I lot. hope everyone jumps into the workshop. Yeah, it's, they should because I think our perception of psych- psychological safety is just wrong. I mean, and 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 it's it's got legs all of a sudden. People talk about it wrong all the time. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's we just we really we have to we have to break that because the danger of of how pe- how we've heard people talk about it is what they're really creating is groupthink. And they are reducing the emotional capacity in the organization. We are not to treat our employees like snowflakes, right? That's not what we're doing. Um, and and remember, you know, at the lab when we started with HPI, that was the pushback that we got was like, oh, you just want to coddle the worker. Get out of uh, you free. know, there's this whole like no blame thing. It's all just because, you know, now you just want to blame us. You just want to blame the leader. That oh, There's always that initial sort of knee jerk reaction to things. And that's not and that wasn't what we were doing back then. Um, we just, we just, we just weren't going to rest the, the, uh, the safety of a whole organization, the viability of a whole organization on a fallible human mind on a, on, on the shoulders of fallible human beings. That, that's what really we were talking about, but you know, we got seen as, you know, the touchy feely brigade and that's, and I, I kind of feel that that's how. Um, with the psychological safety thing, that's the first reaction. It's the touchy feely brigade, but it's it's the opposite. I I did say, <laughs> and I, it might be controversial, but I did say it at the um, O R C H S E. What's the next one? N S C N S C conference. I did say I will see it as a great um, as a great victory when when we can cry at work, and then I and I think that we should be able to cry at work right i i think that there are some it's it's appropriate it is appropriate if there's a fatality in an organization that the leader get up there and show their emotions about it and crying about a fatality is an appropriate emotion um but i'm sure that that's going to be misconstrued (laughs) (laughs) i see that as grit you know um because we're working with organizations where where grit is a value. Absolutely. And I don't see grit as being, uh, you know, missing emotional capacity. I think in order to have grit, you actually have to have a lot of emotional capacity because you're taking, you're, you're taking risk and you're trying, to, um, you're trying to find the upside of that risk. So there you got it. That's the pod. That was a nice conversation. Was it's always fun to talk to Martha. She's so um, she's really good at these kind of conversations. I mean, she's I, I really like the way she thinks. It's easy to follow her, and it's pleasant and fun. And uh, I'll do it anytime, just any old time. And name it, I'll be there. That's how convinced I am. Until then, my friends, that's the pod. Went a little long. I owe you five minutes. I'll pay you back later. I promise. It's not a lie. Until then. Learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. 
Be kind to one another. That's important. Probably more important now than ever before. Check in on people. Make sure they're doing okay. Don't forget them. And for goodness sakes, be safe.